From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Well, Lent is here. Hooray! To be honest, it feels like the last thing I need right now is 40 days of fasting and penance and just the general heaviness that comes with Lent. It feels like we've been living in a perpetual state of Lent for two years now. I am just not feeling it this time around. So I called up my friend Patty Gilger SJ to see if maybe he could help me have a better attitude about it. Patty is a sociology professor at Loyola University Chicago and a super thoughtful person in general. I asked him where his mind and heart are at this Ash Wednesday, and he helped me rethink what the season of Lent is all about in the first place. I wouldn't say I'm excited about Lent after our conversation, but I'm definitely far more open to its arrival than I was before we talked. His insights are helpful and consoling, especially if, like me, you'd rather just skip straight to Easter this year. Patty was also the founding editor-in-chief of the Jesuit Post back in 2012, which is the wonderful culture and religion website that's run by young Jesuits to this day. So I knew I had to ask him for some music and movie recommendations for Lent. He didn't disappoint. We'll link to his choices in the show notes. All of our hearts are especially heavy as Lent begins this year, due to the horrifying war underway in Ukraine. One of our contributors at Jesuits.org is named Cameron Bellum, and she wrote this beautiful prayer for peace. I'll share it with you now, and then we'll get to my conversation with Father Patty. A Prayer for Peace How do we pray for peace from half a world away? How can worlds salve and soothe real wounds Assuage real fears, wipe tears from real eyes. God of endless compassion, transform our prayers from words into bridges that span the distances between us, uniting our hearts in yours. Every time we turn our keys in a lock, may we remember all who are losing their homes. Every time we step into our cars, May we remember all who are having to flee. Every time we embrace our children, may we remember all who are trying to shield theirs from war. May our besieged sisters and brothers be drawn into the arms of the suffering Christ. And may our cry be heard as one voice, ringing out from every corner of the earth. God of endless mercy, grant us peace. Amen. Well, Father Patty Gilger, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. How are you doing? Mike, I'm well. I'm always more nervous than I think I'm going to be doing these conversations, interviews with you or others, but it's great to be here. Good to see you. Well, I always like having you on because I think you're a good talker. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm going to take that compliment and we're going to move right along. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about Lent. So the last time I had you on, it was, I think, also in Lent, or Lent was just about to start, and it was two years ago, and you were in Milan, Italy, 
and you were locked down because Milan um, was like the one of the early epicenters of the pandemic. And I spoke to you from our office on like the second to last day I was in the office. Um, and so how has your life been since then? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> I just thinking about that time, and I think from that conversation, you went on to write a piece, a long piece in America, which we can link to kind of about your experiences there. Um, but now you're back in the in the US and you teach at Loyola University Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. No, these last two years have been a little crazy. You know, if they've been that way for all of us, I think so. No exception from me. Maybe the craziness gives us some solidarity with one another. For me, um, I came back to the States uh, that summertime after a good chunk of time in Italy, although all of it spent in our high school in Milan without being able to leave <laughs> hardly at all. Um, I did a few lovely things, which was great, uh, but came back without having been able to do much of the research I'd hoped to do. But nevertheless, over that last year, from summer to summer, 21 to 22, or 20 to 21, excuse me, um, I was able to finish my PhD in sociology at the New School, I study social theory and public religion. And um, now I am very lucky to have landed a job at Loyola University Chicago, where I went to graduate school in philosophy, in fact. So I feel like that's a little bit of a homecoming. I'm back here teaching sociology, social theory, intro to sociology, sociology of religion, having fun. That's great. Um, we're not going to talk about sociology right now, though. I imagine most things you talk about, you know, comes back around to what you care about. So sometimes I think um, I only really talk about one thing in different forms. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's, I think that's, that's good. That shows that, you know, academics do that, right? You got to find your niche. Yeah. Um, so I, but I, I called you though, because I thought like you would be a good person to talk to for our Ash Wednesday episode as Lent begins, because since I talked to you for that last episode and we've talked in between then, but like for that episode two years ago, um, I feel like I've been living in Lent for two years. Maybe a lot of us would feel similarly in terms of just like those feelings that, that I associate with Lent. Like if I was going to make one of those word clouds, you know, the word cloud, you put like the big word in the middle and then like there's all those words around it that yep. like connect to that word. Um, if uh, yeah. So like the words I would like put in my word cloud would be like heavy, sin, ashes, penance, um, rending of hearts and garments, conversion, all these things that like, and it does, I think what thing the church really gets is that like the time of year feels different, you know, it does. Um, but like, I, I, I'm coming into this, like, you know what, like, I don't need Lent right now. I don't need Lent after two years of this. I don't need Lent in the middle of a war that's going on in Europe, not to mention all the other terrible things that are happening around the world. Um, yes. I need like, I need to skip to Easter, right? Like I just, I'm like, look, we've been doing the Lent thing. Let me get to Easter. But I know that like there's wisdom in the liturgical year, even in times in which like we're not feeling it. So I want to, for you to like help me think about Lent, maybe in different ways, things maybe that you are praying about, things you're reflecting on as we move into the season. Um, that maybe can help me reframe the way I'm approaching this season. So can you help me do that? I'll try. I mean, I'll offer you my own experience of it, um, which really comes down to something like this. Um, Lent is, is, it might not be a lot of fun always, but I actually think it's very essential for one reason. It's essential for the same reason, in fact, that we've actually received a gift from the last two years of the pandemic or it's essential for this reason that it puts us in touch with our incapacity 
to resolve all of the tension in our lives. And like, I hear you, you know, when you talk about, you know, we've been through a lot, uh, you've been through a lot, you know, with little kids around the house and trying to deal with them these times. And uh, many families have, I know it's been different for many Jesuits, but I'm, I know that I have, there's been a lot of, there's been struggle and, and challenge and pain there. But let me put it in this way from my own experience, um, writing this dissertation, anybody who's done that or, you know, done a long project like that, that requires sustained discipline, um, all it really does is put you in touch with um, the limits of your capacities and it puts you, pushes you right there, right to the limits of these things. And uh, I think often when we're pushed to those limits, the thing that we want is to get away from that tension that causes in us, like get me out of this tension is all that we're kind of begging the Lord to do for us. And my experience of Jesus is that he is not very interested in doing that. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of why. Yes. Yeah. Like you're that frustration. I, I mean, I really feel that myself. Like I get super frustrated with him um, because I get, as I get frustrated with everybody who won't do what I want. Right. <laughs> like that's exactly what it is. But at the same time, I, there's a way for us to take that experience of, being pushed to our limits as a gift, as a great gift. Like what did Pope Francis say, you know, about the coronavirus? And he's written this in a number of different ways. One of the things he said to us very clearly is that um, this has shown us that our way, our normal ways of living in the world are not sufficient. Now, for us who are Americans, often what that means is that the tactics that we've developed for distracting ourselves from the tension from avoiding it, you know, from dealing with the problems that are before us, we need to recognize that those things are no longer capable of distracting us. That's what Lent is for. That's all. Pulling us away from the things we use to distract ourselves from the real place where God's already active. And if he's active in the tension, then that's where I want to be. I, I think it's where a Christian ought to want to be. So sitting in tension, being okay with tension, not necessarily rushing to like have it cleared and lifted, that like takes some practice, right? Yeah. Like you can't just turn that on. And I'm wondering for you as someone who is thinking about these things uh, and working on them and praying with them, like what, what, how do you approach that? Like what, what do you think find, what do you find for you as like certain practices that can help you be at peace with the fact that you might not always be feeling perfectly peaceful. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the right way to put it, Mike, is to, to be at peace with the lack of peace. Um, the, yeah. The, I mean, there are no secret remedies for, for, um, for getting out of this. Right. But one of the things that really does strike me just so consistently, um, you know, in the world today, there is just a lot of conversation about um, self-care, 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 right? Take care of yourself. Make sure that you have enough resources within you to be able to give the things you need to give. And I have to be honest, I'm just really suspicious of this whole this whole discourse, this whole way of talking. Um, and it's not because people should secretly be bad to themselves or something like that, you know, because if, if what self-care means is recognize that you are lovable and loved wonderful. That's really wonderful. But the part of it that I think gets really switched around, it really gets flipped, is that uh, this rhetoric of self-care becomes this like 
commodification technique. What I mean is that the companies start to use this rhetoric of self-care to sell you more stuff so that you can take care of yourself, which really means let the product take care of you. Let these other things take care of you. Let these objects take care of you. You take care of you through them. And that is never a recipe for a joyful life. Um, in fact, it's a recipe for despair because it puts this enormous sense of pressure on ourselves. Like the, the background logic to anything like that is something like this. You ought to be able to take care of yourself. And because you can't, you're a failure. But that's not the way human beings are. So I say all of that to be able to say one of the practices that I know helps keep me in the tension in a helpful way is regular relationship with people who actually love me. I, I have to pay attention to who I will let take care of me rather than attempting to take care of myself, which often means pulling me out of the tension. So that's all kinds of different ways, you know, like that's all kinds of different things happen there. That happens with me making sure to call my best friend, Jeff Sullivan, who's also a Jesuit regularly. And just to say, hey, man, this is how I'm actually doing. Um, can you actually stop and listen to me right now? And asking for what I need, but as opposed to trying to give it to myself, which I just think is absolute nonsense. The other way, I mean, one of the other real ways is a certain kind of prayer that puts us in touch with this destabilized sense of self that doesn't try to dodge it, that instead turns to the Lord and says, here in this place of absence, I trust that you will come and sustain me. Now, when I'm thinking about like this sense of, you know, the first, let's take your first point, the quite like really investing in those types of relationships, even in a way that almost it can be kind of tricky, especially for those of us who like to think we have our stuff together, right? Like um, it's hard for me to ask for help. Yeah. Uh, I want like, I, you know, I'm a parent. I need to have my stuff, even though like I want to at least project that I, I know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I want it like to be a rock for my spouse. I want to, uh, you know, I, I, look, I am a upper middle class, white male, cisgender, white male, straight married kids. Like, you know, this kind of class white pick, literally a white picket fence at our house. Yeah. Um, and I'm so sure like there's, beautiful. yeah, no, it's very nice. But like, there's that, then that sense that, you know, like, Oh, I have to, kind of take care of these things and to admit or to ask for help in any form is like, uh, I don't know, is admitting weakness. Like it doesn't like kind of go all that nicely with um, like our American vision of self-sufficiency. Yeah. And I think that that's a grace actually. I totally agree with you with everything that you say. It doesn't go very well with this stuff, but that's actually a grace. Um, self-sufficiency is a lie. Like it's, it's a lie and it's a deception. And when we let it get in us, that's when we start to have this really judgmental, vengeful, wrung out attitude towards ourselves. You know, like this, this super ego that says, why aren't you good enough to be able to live up to X, Y, Z? Like, here's a quick story about what I mean here. Like, this is what Lent is really about, I think, is this is what penance really is, is dependence. Like, that's, it's dependence on, like, a certain kind of thing. It's a remedying. It's, it's, it's a restore, restoration of the relationship of dependence. So here's an example. When I was working on my dissertation, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Day after day of contact with this place of tension. Um, no avoidance, no capacity to avoid it. It made me understand very quickly why people don't want to be academics, right? Okay, okay. Um, and 
there came a point at the end of it where for months and months I'd been writing and making a lot of progress. And I interiorly at the end of this, I really got stuck. I really got stuck and I was afraid and caught and I didn't know what to do. And, um, I called Jeff, my best friend. And, uh, and I just told him like, this is what's going on, man. I'm really, I'm really caught. He could just hear it in my voice more than like, you know, even the words I'm saying don't really convey it that well, but he could just see it in my face or hear it in my voice. And he's lives in a different city. He's not able to be there with me, you know, so he can't live, can't just run right there. But this is what he did. He came up with another way. He called me back the next day after he listened and he goes, Hey, um, I want to do this thing with you every morning. I want us to get on zoom for 40 minutes before I go to work. And I want you to read me what you've written the day before. And man, I just can't tell you like how grateful I was when he said that because um, it just felt like I didn't have to do it alone anymore, you know, and that I had somebody else who could support me in the midst of this really difficult project that he had like, instead of saying nice things to me, like, you can do it, you can do it, don't worry, you're good, you're really smart. He, he got down into the depths of the struggle with me and gave me a way to see some of the light that was there. So literally every day for six weeks, probably until I made it out of this um, five days a week, right? He, he called me in the morning and I read him whatever three, four, five, six paragraphs I had written the day before. And then I was like, how does that sound? You know, so unsure. And he'd be like, well, it sounds to me like you're trying to say this. And then I could go, yeah, or no. And then we'd talk it out. It was fantastic. Like a weight had just been lifted, not just off my shoulders, but like that, that, that wrung out coat hanger wire inside, you know, right on your sternum that gets just choked off with nervousness. It was like somebody had just straightened it out and let go. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not alone here anymore. That's what this is. Hmm. And that's what Lent can do is put us in touch with that need for help from which we can actually live into this non-self-sufficient self that is way better for us. That's such a cool story. Um, I love that, that image, you know, the sense of like, a well, for one, the everydayness, the kind of listening, yeah. just the showing up and, and like helping you then in, in some ways, instead of being like, Oh, I have to write this whole thing. It was, <laughs> I have to write, I have to write the next part that Jeff can listen to before he has to go to work. So it's only a few, maybe only a few paragraphs, but you just try right. at a time, uh, yeah. like that. And one sometimes that's that I, all I could summon myself to do. I really did not have any more powers there, but he was also okay with that. He could be like, that's okay. And then there were some days, especially in those days when I got stuck where, um, I would say to him, can you stay with me on the line here for a second while I try to write some of this stuff out? And he would be like, yes. And he would just sit there. While I said, what about this sentence? What about the next one? And it was such a great gift, like he, a real living image of how Jesus treats me in the midst of, you know, my own efforts to be self-sufficient, which are always terrifying and terrible. <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is a Lent thing. So of course I'm going right to like this image of the passion or this sense of like the kind of inconceivability of God who enters into suffering with us and takes that on and in that grand solidarity, but yeah. really seeing that modeled there, that someone who that compassion to suffer with you know, Jesus is the paragon of that. And like that example of someone, yeah, like this is not fun necessarily. I mean, maybe he's having fun because he gets to think about things and he doesn't have to write the paper at the end of the day, but I imagine it wasn't like fun all the time, but no. that kind of commitment to like, to showing up 
uh, over and over again, not in a haphazard way, not like, oh, send me your draft when you're done, but like literally in the middle of the muck. Yes. And the reality is that everybody who's listening to us, you too, Mike, and me too, we have experiences like this of other people who have shown up for us in that exact way. And um, part of what, so maybe this could be our Lenten practice, or maybe somebody out there, this could be your Lenten practice, is remembering and expressing gratitude to the Lord for the people who have done that for you. Because maybe some of them are with the Lord now. Maybe some of them are not here anymore. Like, yeah, I have a cousin who's not here with us anymore who was like that. Hmm. We miss those people, right? But those people, some are also right here. And some of them may not be people who can even say the right words, you know, to us. Like, like yesterday, in fact, I was over with a friend. He's got, uh, he and his wife have five little kids. And I walk in the door and his little tiny boy, you know, two-year-old Mateo, he walks to the door and he opens the door and he's like, Father Patty, and just points over across the room to this table that he had helped set up as an altar. I was saying mass at their house. And he was so excited to show me this. And I was like, that's what I needed was his excitement to share with me that kind of thing. It's like this, when, you're, when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, Mike, and they don't need you to yell from the other room, everything's okay. What they need is you. <laughs> That's what Lent's about. We are the kids, not the ones who are, go- not only the ones who are going to offer support. That's the easy part, right? To be the supporter. The hard part is to be the one, the penitent who's in need. Yeah. Thinking about these, like the sense of relationship and cultivating those, I, I heard some like blurb on the radio the other day, and I've been thinking about it ever since. I think it was like a teaser for another radio show, but it's like the idea of like the percentage of adults in the US who like uh, say they have zero close friends is like four times higher than it was 30 years ago. And I like, I have close friends from college. I have close friends from grad school. I'm texting them a lot. They live in different places generally. We have kids. So like the amount of things we do for ourselves, it's I mean, my wife and I, we, my parents watched our kids. We went and we stayed over at a hotel in DC, 15 Good. minutes from our house just for Good. one night. And the sleep we got was unbelievable. But um, yes. still like there's, I'm realizing like I, I'm like longing for this, friendship uh and i haven't really had the you know it's just hard to develop close friends at this stage in life as a grown up uh with with kids i've thought about like the place where i've met the two closest friends in school is playing pickup basketball Love uh, it. which, which i've like been wanting to write about this because like the, the two guys in my life who i feel like and I, they live now not close to us but like when we met them who became like the people i would go to for stuff like it was from that like that sense of that communal coming together of which there happens in a special alchemic way in basketball um it does but uh, <laughs> so to define those spaces but i'm longing for that again and i can feel that and that's partly because i'm an extrovert and so the pandemic and the isolation has been very difficult that way um but there is that i think that sense too of these these types of divisions um and like the lack of that connection i mean the npr the other day got in a huge amount of trouble for putting out a thread about like self-care during this war like ways mm-hmm. to take care of yourself from like not distracting yourself from the fact that this war is happening um and i think it was maybe kind of underlined some of these things you're talking about but like i i don't yeah i don't know like where to find that i wish there was like some craigslist 
for like just friends. I just literally just want to be your friend. Does anyone want like? And, and the, when I like meet someone for the first time, and this happens now, like even at our like kids' birthday party, like meet a parent who you connect with, like right yeah. away, like click around talking about music or something, and then it's like, oh, like don't leave, like stay here. Um, please like let me be your friend forever and like I, you, you don't want to come on too strong it's like dating right like you don't want to come on too totally strong. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway i I'm, as you're talking about this i'm like oh i don't i don't have that in my life and like my again my spouse and i are close but i as friends but like to have yes. other friends is important um it, it's essential in fact and, you know, and the thing that i want to point out here is you know nobody can solve that problem for us like Nobody can can give us that you know secret gift of friends or something like that. That can't happen. But what um, maybe what this podcast can be or what our conversation can be is a reminder of what we actually want, like what we actually want, without pretending that it's something else or without pretending that like a legitimately good Netflix show. It's legitimately good. I have nothing bad to say about that. Like The Mandalorian was great, but like it's not enough. It's not a friend. And if we, I'm convinced, if we pay attention to the actual needs of our heart and don't let ourselves be distracted by surrogate responses to those needs, idols, we can be led down that very path of unmet desire towards the thing that God wants to give us. It's that's in fact the only way God gets to give us that gift. So like, yeah, I hear you, man. When you're talking early about, you know, we've had enough Lent, like, yeah, that's true. Like it's, that's true in some serious ways, but, um, I can speak for myself at least that knowing I resist walking down that path of emptiness all the time. Like I want to do it. I want to do anything else, but that it's because the cross is really difficult. It's really difficult, but that's where he is. You know, like he does not, he is the one who does not look away from the suffering one, but moves closer to it the way my friend did for me and we can do for others. So this is another thing I've been thinking about lately is like, you know, this is a difficult time to be a human being. It's a difficult time to be a young person, maybe especially I'm thinking about my students here at Loyola and they're wonderful. They're, they're smart and hardworking and they try, they really put effort in. I really have a lot of affection for them, you know, parental or, you know, that kind of love for them in some ways. But um, I also kind of feel like this is the perfect time to be a Christian. It's not just that it's hard now. This is the time to do it. Like this is when we're needed and we're needed precisely because of the reality of the suffering around us. So, you know, yeah, like the church is super divided Nobody seems to be able to speak with a coherent voice for the church. We get embarrassed about X or Y or Z. There are these, we feel wrung out by it. This is the perfect time to be a Christian. Right there, right then. But we only do that by walking with the living God into that endless well of desire. Yeah, I mean, you think about like getting to the thing, like the core thing that we really do want, like underneath the things that we get distracted by. And that's one thing for me as like a newcomer to the Jesuit world over the past couple of years that I've really been struck by was like the sense like in Ignatian spirituality, like from the exercises from like Ignatius, like to pray and to like ask for a grace, right? Like as a part of the rhythm of the exercises and the sense that like, 
No, I, and sometimes I think that's another thing that's connected to like the myth that myth of self reliance. Like I can take care of myself. It's like I'm gonna when I was when you're a little kid, like you pray and you ask for certain things, and then as you get older, it's like no, I'm gonna pray and I will like <laughs> I will do prayer of thanks. I will yes. do pray, prayer of thanksgiving. I will. Th- I'm not gonna ask God. I want to trouble God. You know, I'm not gonna ask about this like little annoying thing here or uh for friends i'm not gonna ask god for friends like yeah um that's weird like I, but that's I'm what just, we want here's one of the things right. i noticed mike right in the midst of the i'm sorry if i'm if i'm cutting no, you go ahead. right in the middle of this is that a lot of the people i work with in spiritual direction not all but a lot of them who have real prayer lives have real prayer lives hesitate seriously to express that simple honest desire to god and they hesitate for, for mainly two reasons, both of which are totally valid. The first one is that they're afraid that it won't be fulfilled. I understand. Like, I understand that fear. But that inhibition is straight from the evil spirit because it keeps us from opening up the relationship. The second inhibition is that they don't share it with God because they feel like God already knows what they want. And it's so strange, right? Because factually, as ideas, God does already know. God does already know. But the reality is, that's not the point. God doesn't need to know the idea. He needs to understand how we are, like what is actually happening there. And so to the extent that we become like reticent, reluctant, hesitant to share this vulnerable, vibrant spot with the Lord, this this open wound in our heart that is full of holy desires with the Lord, it cuts off all the thing that God really wants. Like it makes, it turns, it, that our, our reluctance transforms a God who is a relational trinity into an idea. And man, that just, we cannot have that. So one of the things that Lent can be is that like, you know, retransmogrification, like Calvin and Hobbes would say, right? Like turn God back from an idea into the Trinitarian relationship. Share it. Yeah. The church we go to during the, during the, uh, the universal prayer, you know, the prayer of the faithful, they will read everyone who's sick and in the parish and it's a huge parish. And so that list of names, they also do it for people who have died. That list of names, it can be 20, 30 names. It can take forever. And I'm <laughs> standing there with the kids squirming like, are you serious? Can't you just say the people whose names are written in our book of sick people? Yep. No, they, they go one and they're praying for that healing. And like when I'm sitting here with you and not in that moment, I can like, I sort of, I can, I can appreciate that differently. Um, but that, that sense of just like, no, I kind of, we're just asking for healing for this person. Like we don't, it's not again, like God, if like you're, if it's not inconvenience to you, could you please like remember this person and you're just like a pretty simple, straightforward help. Um, and also then keeping those people in the community's minds and hearts, certainly. But I, there is something about that that I like. It's just like the showing up and the, the, the help prayer. Um, I'm coming to appreciate that more as, uh, as a parent, as um, someone who, as we get older and get more gray hair, come to like understand mortality a little bit more, like that, the yes. help um, is a good I prayer. I remember one time I was taking care of my niece. She's nine now, and she was probably... I don't know, 18 months old at the time, little, but she could talk. And um, she had one of those board books that she was reading, you know, the thick books of the cardboard pages. And we were trying to teach her to 
at the time to like say what she want as opposed to just crying, like use her words to say what she wanted. And she got her finger caught like in the little spine, the open spine of that board book. When they're, they're so light, like that she's not really hurt, but it, she kind of trapped her for a second and she got nervous and she held up her finger with the board book attached to it. It was so funny. And she's got like a half tear in her eyes and she looks at me and she starts to cry. And I, and I look at her and I said, use your words. And she goes, need help, need help, need help. And I just started crying myself, you know, because it was so beautiful. And I thought to myself, um, man, that's how I am. Like, that's how I am. I need help. And uh, the best thing about kids is that they're less afraid to ask for it. Thank God uh, for that. Oh, yeah. Our two-year-old just like he's just added getting some words and um, help is now like in, high in his repertoire. Love um, it. And it, yeah, no, it's irresistible because like, he's like a little monster a lot of the time. But then when he starts like asking for help, he can't help but uh, melt your heart, you know, and just like, <laughs> yes, OK, you have climbed onto this chair and are hanging from your legs and you don't know how to get down. And so you're asking for help. And I'm tempted just to let you there so you can learn your lesson. But no, I will come over and help you because I can't resist a little help, 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 help. Um, <sighs> All right. Well, before I let you go, sometimes like when I'm in, when I entering into Lent and trying to like get into the right frame yeah. there, I like look for a movie or a book or uh, a song or something that will catch my attention. There's some like my friend, Nick Rapatrizone, uh, who yes. facilitates the Jesuit book club with me. Um, he reads The Power and the Glory every, every Lent, which the Graham Greene novel, which is like a great Lenten book, certainly. And I'm just wondering for you if there are things, I know you're a fellow fan of music and film and literature, um, if there's poetry, if there's anything you are either have encountered recently or think you might revisit during Lent or things you might recommend for people uh, as we are doing some of this uh, reflection could be a good companion on this journey. Yes. Yeah. I have a, a few suggestions. I'll try to say, I'll try to say just one thing about each of them and not to be too long. Um, the first is uh, a song. Uh, it's by Leonard Cohen. So hopefully some of, some of our listeners are already Leonard Cohen fans. Um, and it's a song called come healing that he put out a handful of years ago before his death. And it's spectacular. It's spectacular. Um, the opening lyrics are these gather up the brokenness bring it to me now. The fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow. Gathering up the brokenness of our lives after these two years and bringing, singing, right? These words to the Lord and to one another, spectacular. So just as something, you know, to consider, to open up that space of desire in our heart. One, um, a second, maybe, uh, not really a movie, but a kind of a documentary. Um, so hopefully people have already seen this, but maybe it's worth re returning to Bruce Springsteen's uh, Broadway performance, which is still up on Netflix. I just checked the other day to look at it a little bit again. Um, when I was finishing in New York, I was lucky enough to be able to go see him uh, right when he came back to Broadway. He was the first one back on Broadway. And... Uh, it was spectacular and everybody had to be vaccinated. You wear your masks and all of this, but it was the first time I was back in a, a room full of people, like a theater full of people, even like a church full of people because we had been so spaced out and it was spectacular to be there. And uh, without ruining the ending of it, you know, Springsteen does his full thing where he's evoking for us 
this experience of what it means to be a human being, like to get to get out of town when it's constraining, but to find the place of love and commitment and to offer up these mysterious desires and prayers to a God who's somehow there, even though you're not so comfortable with him being there. And at the end of all of these stories of his own life, towards the very end of the of the whole set, there's a moment where um, he starts to pray and uh, he just prays right there, you know, in front of everybody and the whole theater, the whole theater joined in with him. And so when you talk about these practices for Lent, this is one of those things that we need is um, liturgy in that way uh, to watch even just to watch it on Netflix, but then to pray with him there, to hold your hands up in your room, in your living room and to say the words with him. Spectacular. I'm going to stop um, you here to, to say that I am not a hold my hands up and sing and pray type person. But um, the one time I've done it earnestly in my life, I was at a Bruce Springsteen concert. Now, it was, it was not the Broadway thing, but it was uh, like when he was with this folk band and he was just singing the song, My City of Ruins, yes. which is essentially like a 9-11 song. But like it's, again, this another like the rubble, the another great Lent song, like the middle of all of this. Like, how do we rebuild the city, the physical and metaphorical city? And then it's like the, the prayer at the end is like, with these hands, Lord. And then like with everyone at the, yeah, with these hands, everyone's hands like go up, right? Like they're at a, a praise uh, a praise concert. And I found myself like without like meaning to, my hands were in the air. Like, oh, that's weird. That's not usually something, some way, that's not usually the way I pray. Um, so I will uh, attest to the power of the boss to, um, to yes. pull that out of you. Um, and there's something about like everyone doing it together where it felt like... Uh, I don't know. There was space for it. He made space for that. That's right. It, it kind of frees us up a little bit to do it, maybe. When someone as cool as that is doing it. Yeah, certainly. Um, okay. Sorry for interrupting. No. Um, keep going. Here's the last thing. It's not really a, it's not a novel or a book or anything like that. But I read the other day an essay by um, the French scientist, scientific researcher, uh, Xavier Le Pichon, uh, who I don't really know that particularly well, but somebody had had given me uh, a copy of his essay, Eke Homo. And um, it's absolutely stunning, absolutely spectacular, because in it, he not only tells this long history of the human race, you know, this interreligious, intercultural history of the human race in it, but he does so from a particular perspective. As a sociologist, I kind of appreciated it. But the point he makes is this, is that what makes human societies unique is that we have the capacity to organize our attention collectively around the vulnerable and the wounded. And he says, particularly that happens with children. We can organize our whole society around the child to help them live and thrive and become themselves, but also around those who are uh, vulnerable. We can think maybe of Larsh, you know, communities where we reorganize the community around those who are of different capacities. And he goes on to tell a story about how his father, who was a powerful man, uh, reorganized his own life around his wife's illness when his wife was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's. So she's losing herself. He reorganizes his whole self. Uh, around her illness and becomes more human in so doing. I highly recommend it as a uh, a way into all of this, um, the depth of vulnerable desire that uh, I've been trying to describe inadequately in these words. All right. So we have some, uh, some stuff to encounter this season, a nice kind of uh, building a retreat here 
at the Jesuit conference, we have six kind of video retreat modules from Jesuits, religious sisters, lay people that will be coming out too. Uh, you can get those at uh, Jesuits.org. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll build this nice kind of uh, Ignatian collection of things that people can engage in wherever they are. But I think as you're saying too, like the, the sense like the, the needing the needing liturgy and that the being in the space together, which as be, as it's becoming safer, Yes. There's no no substitute for that. And so maybe this season, I know I've heard of some people who like, it's only just now that they are kind of uh, tentatively going back to some kind of liturgical experience in person. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't know. I um, have found that even though for us, it's usually corralling children, like, but just even physically to be there has been a, a blessing for us. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, just remembering the expression of desire that you said earlier, you know, that I want these friends and call them and tell them and see if they want to go hoop. Like, that's the deal. That's Lent. That's it. The expression of desire. Like, that's the moment of, of penance. That's the moment of worry, right? Because maybe they won't be able to, but maybe they will. <laughs> Well, Father Patty, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, prayers for you for uh, a blessed and vulnerable Lent. Thank you. I really appreciate it. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.